Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So I have to come clean, Kristen. I promised you an incredible story of my son bringing your crumbled bits of scorpion for his show and tell and he and I was so excited about that fact. I was like, uh, mainly so this bit could continue. <laughs> and I was like, this is so great. How does he know? He's got such good comic timing, you know. And um, uh, but instead, he wanted to bring his he wanted to bring an American boy doll. So he didn't want to, I didn't I couldn't force him to bring the scorpion crumbs. That's fine. Simply. Simply to further this joke <laughs> to its long overdue end <laughs> conclusion. But anyway, that's what's happening with me. What is going on with you? I am up in New York right now. I apologize to listeners. This is going to be a shorter podcast because I have to run over to Fox to tape. What are the odds? My polling show on uh, Fox Nation this week. I don't want to jinx it because as soon as I say on this podcast who the guest is, like he's going to cancel and my heart is going to break. And so I'm not saying it yet. But uh, if this works out next week, I will have a very exciting announcement about who my guest was. Oh, that's cool. Um, so but I, that's why I have to bolt out of here faster. So today's show will be a little truncated and it's totally my fault. I apologize, guys. Um, but we got plenty of polls to talk about this. That's week. A, yeah, that's all right. So let's talk a little bit. So what are the top lines before we go into that? Uh, the net, you know, we've got some tons of fresh 2020 polling out. Um, so since last week's show, we got some very exciting polls in North uh, Nevada, in South Carolina, in a few other places. We'll talk a little bit about whether things are moving on impeachment as the articles of impeachment move across the Capitol to the Senate. We'll dive in a little bit to what people's reactions are a week or so later around Iran, and then we'll end on a little bit of polling about the Oscars. Okay, cool. So the Democratic primary, it is now getting kind of sizzling in these cold early states. Um, the, you know, there was a debate this week. The There seems to be a little bit more back the and forth. The debate was not sizzling, but the, the debate after the debate The hot was. mics. Yeah, the hot the, mics were hot, hot. Yes. And the, like the ramp up was hot. Anyway, so it just, it's, you know, things are starting to happen. Obviously, we're, we're getting in the final throws here before voting begins. And the national, I mean, you know, if you look at it over the course of the year, you do see some things happening. A lot of times we talk about this and say, well, there's not much happening. Everybody calm down. Um, so you do see like over the last two months or so, some, you know, bit of change. Biden holding steady, Warren having a slump where she's not fully recovered, Sanders as perhaps as a result, inching up, Mayor Pete inching down. Um, in Iowa, you see some of those patterns, you know, um, a little bit different. It's harder to get some of the, you know, polling in Iowa, but you have, you know, a, a clear top tier as well with, you know, some polls, which I know you're going to talk about showing some searches with candidates who have been, on the air a lot and how that is driving the polls. There's also been a Washington Post uh, Ipsos poll of African-Americans that shows Biden very clearly in the lead, which matches what we've seen in some of the states like South Carolina. So what do you think when you take a look at all that? Yeah, so I, I wrote a whole column this week in The Examiner that basically says, don't let anybody tell you, oh, like I know who's going to win Iowa. I get asked this a lot. I got asked this this morning. 
in the green room at Fox, you know, one of my co-panelists was like, so what do you think is going to happen? Anybody who tells you that they know what's going to happen is uh, they are BSing you. Um, these candidates are all too closely bunched. And the track record of Iowa polling versus Iowa results is just not great. Uh, which is not to say that pollsters who poll in Iowa are bad at their jobs. It's that Iowa's a really tough state to poll. I, I note in my column, this is why Ann Selzer is like venerated in the polling world, because she does a really, really difficult thing very well. You don't have to go back far, but you can. You can go back to 2004 with the polls before the caucuses showing Howard Dean and John Kerry pretty close together. And then in the end, John Kerry gets twice as many votes as Howard Dean. In 2008, you have, you know, Mike Huckabee kind of surging out of nowhere. He was supposed to be pretty close to Romney and he wins by nine. I mean, like the track record of this stuff, every single time the polls tell us one story about what's going to happen in Iowa and something different happens. Or the result is still within margin of error, but defies kind of what the quote unquote narrative said. So all of which is to say, we do not know what's going to happen. And this can move very quickly. And this week on The Trendline, my uh, Series XM show, I had on Gentry Collins, who is a Republican strategist, former RNC political director. He's an Iowa expert. And he points out that like people in Iowa, they're like, man, I've only met the candidate five times, so I still haven't really made up my mind. I got to go meet him a sixth time in order to know. Um, the people just, you know, are still waiting to see if anything will change their mind, which is why I'm interested to know, does this whole Warren-Bernie Sanders kerfluffle, does it help someone? Does it backfire? You know, my general posture when it comes to anything involving the president is that, no, it's not going to move numbers. No, it's not going to change people's minds. And I've been right 99% of the time with that posture. But in the Democratic primary, I do think things are more fluid. I do think there are a lot of people that have not yet made up their mind that are still open to new information. For sure. Um, so I, don't let anyone tell you that they know what is going to happen in Iowa because they do not. Right, right. And then, you know, you have so many candidates with their, you know, who are kind of in this top tier that obviously Iowa is going to, you know, play a big role. It's going to be, I think, perhaps more important to some candidates than others. It's, I think it's obviously less important to Bloomberg, but you see him surging in some of these polls where he has a national television buy. Um, you know, what does it mean for other candidates? Like, for example, was it a Fox News poll that showed Steyer quite high in South Carolina and Nevada? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, are those states are right now responding to a mix of the national coverage plus the advertising in their state? Do they change once we have some winners and second and third and fourth place winners in some of the early states? So the, the Fox News polling, because I'm a Fox contributor and I do polling stuff from time to time, I will know a little bit before the polls come out, like I will get the embargoed numbers. Um, and when I saw the Nevada, <laughs> South Carolina numbers with Steyer in second and third place, I was like, oh, the internet's going to melt. The internet's going to melt. I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating. The internet did not totally It did melt. not melt. <laughs> it did not melt. It did not melt. Uh, didn't it come out like a, didn't internet it come out? Yeah, no, the, the earth is actually melting. Uh, did it come out? Did it come out on like Friday, late Friday or something? Or did am I imagining? On, on a Thursday night uh, later on, like it came out at like 6 p.m. on Thursday night, which I had pre-recorded an interview for my radio show with someone. And we had had a brief conversation about how there were only going to be five people on the stage. And my producer had to cut that part out because all of a sudden <laughs> there were going to be six people up on the stage. Um, funny. So, I mean, 
it did not materially change our conclusions about the challenges of, of the democratic uh, field and, and to whom it had narrowed. But anyhow, uh, yeah, it was it was like a late Thursday night, I think, news drop that was like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, the the field has changed, you know, kind of considerably in the last week or two with Cory Booker dropping out, for example, um, and, uh, you know, changing composition of the of the debate stage. You know, the most recent, I mean, you were talking about Ann Seltzer, I mean, she had a poll that came out since we recorded as well that was released on the 10th that showed, you know, the top four candidates pretty close to each other. And there's variation between some of these top between some of these polls and who they show at the top, but ultimately they show, you know, a fairly similar pattern. So I think it's important to not, <laughs> I don't know, panic, rejoice, you know, whatever your position. Um, people just want to know the answer ahead of time because we're just kind of desperate for this process to keep going. Um, but I, I think it's still, it's still a bit TBD. So in terms of these, you know, the national polls, the national polls still, you know, basically show Biden in that strong-ish, maybe strong is too strong a word, in that front-runner-ish position with Sanders and Warren in kind of tier 1A or 1B and then Buttigieg in like tier 1C. He is much stronger, Buttigieg is much stronger in early states than he is nationally, which has, has always been the case. But the other thing that I think has come up a lot recently is you had a couple of these early state polls that were pretty good news for Bernie Sanders that, you know, showed him either in first or second place, uh, that showed him starting to break away from Elizabeth Warren, perhaps in a, in a couple places. Um, I, I remain not 100 percent convinced that they are that like their voting coalitions are the same and there's so a ton of overlap. But, you know, I still think there's a lot of overlap between Warren and Buttigieg, for instance. But nonetheless, right. but a lot of this is also like you begun to see a couple articles dropping in the last few days about, oh, is Bernie Sanders? He's not electable. Oh, no. Democrats are going to go down this path and they're going to have Bernie Sanders as their nominee and he's going to get eaten alive by Trump. And my my thought on that is that, I mean, that's what Republicans said about Trump. That's what I said, like on this podcast multiple times. Oh, my God, we can't nominate Donald Trump because if we do, we're going to get blown out. The general election's over. Let's move on. And. I am no longer in the business of making those kinds of proclamations. But I also think it's worth looking at these general election polls in key swing states where the difference between Biden and Trump and Sanders and Trump is not that big. Like, the, right. the, not as though Biden is like dramatically outperforming the rest of the field versus Trump compared to other people. So to the extent that Democratic voters are thinking about electability. I understand there's like the cable news narrative that says Bernie Sanders could never be president. I don't buy it. I think anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Democrats are just so focused on uh, winning in 2020 and, and defeating Trump that this sort of electability piece, which I mean, is always kind of part of the conversation when we have these elections, but it's just at a fever pitch now. I think it doesn't, I don't know if it reflects the the field or how people view the field as much as it reflects like how high people think the stakes are. And it's not that people wouldn't vote for these different Democratic candidates themselves. It's that they worry about what other people might do. And where are they getting that information about what other people might do? Are they getting that information from the press or from, you know, 
the other people in their lives that they know or something else. So, and some of that stuff is hard to tease out because if you look at like who's electable and who's not, you're right. In the general election polling in battleground states, Florida, Michigan, Wisconsin, polls have come out from those states in the last, you know, week. Um, Trump is down against all the top tier candidates in every single one of them, except, you know, there are two where Trump is up a couple points in Wisconsin against Buttigieg and against Warren. Um, but it's, you know, this is not a national poll. These are in battleground states. And, you know, Trump Trump looks vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Bloomberg's up seven. Um, Sanders is up five in Michigan. I mean, these are these are polls that show that the, you know, the president is in trouble in places he won last time. If you, you know, look at his, at the same time, if you look at his approval rating, I, you know, again, it's obviously he's had historic, historically low job approval ratings, given that he's been underwater basically the entire, his entire presidency, except for maybe the very first day um, where he was even. He's had more disapproval ratings than, than approval ratings, you know, people who are positive toward him. But his numbers have like, I guess they've ticked up a little bit. They're still in that same band. They've basically been in this whole time, but they're at step 44.6, right? So that's like, the band is so narrow. It's between like 42 and 45. So I guess he's toward the higher end of that tiny narrow bands. But I don't know if that's really good news for him. <laughs> Just the same His bad news he's had. Ever since the reopening of the government has basically been in the 42 to 44 point range it's just i mean every week like when i when i do my radio show like the very first thing i do is i'm like let's check in on the big numbers like i'm giving a weather forecast and it would be like giving a weather it's like i'm the weather the weather woman for like san diego california guess what guys (laughs) it's still 70 degrees and sunny there's still no humidity it's still the same i know (laughs) that's true although in a majority disapproved the president since the beginning it's not quite 70 degrees and sunny. It doesn't feel no, quite no. like maybe, that. <laughs> maybe the better analogy is like, I'm the weather woman for London, where I'm like, yeah. it's, it's 50 degrees and raining. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, what it is today. <laughs> and you know, where? what meanwhile, there's been like, all kinds of insanity happening in terms of impeachment, right? I mean, obviously, there's there, it's on the move. And uh, articles are going to the Senate and there's, you know, new evidence and all the rest of it. Um, the numbers are basically kind of the same, but they continue to be kind of, uh, you know, in more support than uh, don't support impeach and remove. According to 538's model, 49.4% support impeach and remove, 46.3% don't support. Since that's an average, you can use decimal points. It's when you're doing like a percent in a top line that you shouldn't use decimal points as a reminder not no real difference between democrats independents republicans it's basically unchanged i mean it's such a volatile story that it has an unbelievable amount of complicated twists and turns the numbers are identical to where they were last week basically yeah but it does look as though the 538 folks have tweaked a little bit the you know originally they'd said we'll group all impeachment polls together and then they were separating out polls about beginning the process versus impeach or impeach and remove. And now because the process has already begun and has in fact concluded in one half of the chamber, um, they've now sort of tweaked it where it looks like they are asking people, should Trump be impeached and removed? Or do you approve of Trump being impeached? Like asking it more as like a backward looking, like a do you approve of what happened? Um, and then on the the do you approve of beginning the process, they've now sort of also included any questions about, 
just approving of how the process is going generally, which will be, I think will be an interesting challenge for them because let's say you're a Democrat, maybe you approved of the process that Pelosi followed, but you disapprove of the process that the Senate follows. Or perhaps you are a Republican and you disapprove of the process the Senate follows because, you know, Mitch McConnell decides he's going to allow witnesses from both sides, which includes John Bolton or includes Hunter Biden. You know, it'll be, I think that like complicates things. It's harder for me to figure out how do you appropriately scale approving of the process when approving of Pelosi's process and approving of McConnell's process are two very different things. Yeah. Yep. Those are all so the fun points. challenges for our good friends at 538 to deal with. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. So let's take a break and then we're going to drill down. We're going to talk a little bit about the issues that are moving people and spend a little time talking about some new polling on Iran. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, so we're back. And I found this poll from Gallup, which is super interesting. Um, And this is, you know, it's hard sometimes to ask people what's going to matter to you in your vote. Are these issues important to you? Because, you know, people will say, yes, that's important. That's important. People will, you know, kind of default to yes or, you know, not necessarily know how they're going to tease all these things out. And obviously voting is based on a lot more than like doing a light item review of the top 25 issues. So these are just, you know, assessments or self-reporting. They are aspirations of what people, you know, what people think. But there, I was surprised to see that when Gallup Asler is extremely, somewhat, not too, not at all important, I think, as a four-point scale, the top category here, extremely important. People are not just saying, oh, yes, all that's extremely important. They are putting some things at the top of their list and some issues at the bottom of the list. And they ask about like around 15 or so issues. I haven't counted them here, but just eyeballing it. And not not a big surprise, big differences between D's and R's on some of the issues, you know, and how important these issues are with the biggest differences on things like climate change and healthcare and income inequality, race relations. But one thing that I think people who've been listening to the show for a while will not be surprised that I've like clued in on this, that gun policy. So these are all phrased, these are all phrased in very neutral ways for the most part. I mean, you know, they are trying to kind of, you know, whatever side you are on this, you can answer that, that that's important to you. And so gun policy for is a good example of trying to make that neutral where Republicans can say, who, you know, want to support the rights of gun owners can say gun policy is also important to me, right? It's not gun control, which obviously I don't like, or stronger gun laws or gun violence prevention. So for Democrats, this is one of the top issues. It is just under health care. It is number two. Now, with Republicans, 
it is it is not the top. It is, you know, it is not the bottom, but it is in the middle of the pack. So it's at, you know, 26% of Republicans, 46% of Democrats, and 26% of Republicans say it's extremely important. So among Republicans, there are one, two, three, four, five, about like five other issues that are higher in importance among Republicans. So, you know, this just counters this thing that is now an old-timey bit of conventional wisdom that we should put to bed that guns are an issue that animates the right more than it animates the left, that maybe there are more people who support stronger gun laws, but the folks on the right really, really are voting based on this, and the folks on the left are kind of agnostic. That's like, we should put that in the in the attic with the other, you know, old <laughs> bits of conventional wisdom that may have been once true at one time, but are no longer true. And this to me is just, you know, we've seen this before. I've talked about this before. I've written about this before, but it's important reminder to see it again for folks who forget and want to kind of lapse back to, you know, kind of those older views. Yeah, that was absolutely the most striking finding for me. Although I am somewhat surprised that healthcare is as low among Republicans um, as it is. It's no surprise to me to see terrorism and immigration and the economy toward the top of the list. Uh, but having healthcare sort of in the middle of the pack for Republicans surprised me a bit because, you know, frankly, during the heated hubbub over the Affordable Care Act, you know, during the previous decade, healthcare was something that really animated Republicans a lot. Uh, and so it just seems as though, I mean, it's not that it's unimportant to Republicans, but it is, it is the second highest D minus R importance gap here, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've seen this before where education and healthcare are lower tier among Republicans. And, you know, is that because of where the conversation is or is it because of their own views toward those issues? You know, Um, it it does mean potentially if you have, you know, Republicans who want to kind of have a platform around like full repeal of Obamacare, you know, that that may not be a voting issue for folks, although this doesn't go into any of the details. It's just as an issue that that is important to folks. Now, what and I guess it got to get deleted here by mistake, but, you know, Gallup goes into further. They have some interesting charts here. Um, let me click onto it where they show that in general, so it's not just Democrats saying that all these things are important. In general, the the party that is out of power says everything is more important than the party that's in power. And that's true going back. So, you know, at times when Democrats were in power, Republicans found some of these issues a little bit higher, whatever their top issues were, they were more likely to find them higher when they're in the opposite parties in power. So, um, so it's not simply that, you know, Democrats just like to vote on you know, more stuff because they want more government role and all these things. Part of it is just a response to being out of power or at least out of power in the White House. So let's talk a little bit about um, the polling that's come out about Iran, because there's some really fascinating stuff in here in some of the um, partisan divides. So you know, last week when we were talking about this, the story was still uh, very fluid. We recorded, I think, the day after the missile strikes on U.S. military bases in Iraq uh, I recall that I was at the time I was like, oh, I'm tinfoil hat wearing person that I don't think it's a coincidence that this plane crashed in Iran. Obviously, we have now learned that, you know, tragic. I mean, it's tragic no matter how you look at it. But tragically, this was a consequence of Iran firing those missiles um, that they they shot this plane down. And that has led to some significant backlash within Iran, um, a lot of protests, a lot of frustration. But so we've now had a little bit more time for the story to 
have polls that are, are looking at it, at, you know, the story has matured a bit more and, and polling has caught up with it. And there's some morning consult polling that I think describes the situation very well and says, following the airstrike that killed Qasem Soleimani, Iran launched missiles at two military bases in Iraq, though no U.S. or Iraqi citizens were killed in these attacks. In response to these attacks, President Donald Trump has decided to move forward with economic sanctions, but not further military attacks on Iran. Do you approve or disapprove of each of the following? And then sort of goes through, you know, different pieces of, of this puzzle. And one of them is, do you approve or disapprove of Trump's decision not to take further military action against Iran? So Republicans, big supporters of this, 84% say Trump's got the right idea. Independents, 39% strongly approve, another 29% think, yes, this seems like the right path. You know, you add those together, you're almost getting to uh, 70% of independents. For Democrats, a majority say they approve. But you have this interesting, like, fifth of people, independents and Democrats, who I assume do not want us to go to war with Iran, but don't want to say, yes, I support something the president did. Right. So you say, so don't know is you're like way out of that question. If you're like, oh, please don't make me say I like the way some Trump did yep. something. Yeah. We see that a lot, like when they're you asking about, like, did the president commit crimes or do something inappropriate? There's lots of republic, a lot more Republicans will say, I don't know, than say, than Democrats do. Um, yeah. Because they're just like, well, like, you know, I don't quite want to say no, but I'm definitely not going to say, you know, yes. Anyway, so uh, what's interesting is if you look at the headline for this Politico poll, it said majority approve of Trump's actions on Iran, because that's what the overall numbers show on this question. If you look at how NPR, Marist asked it, where there's no other stuff, right? It's just, do you approve or disapprove how he's handling Iran? Then, you know, about half disapprove. And they had an opposite headline, like majority, you know, half disapprove of how the president's handling Iran. So like, it really varies tremendously depending on how you ask the question. I mean, the question here in the morning console one, you know, I agree. I mean, they took care in writing this question, but you have, you know, decision not to take further military action. It's not really getting at kind of the the initial piece of this. It's of the most recent, it's, you know, it's just taking a sliver of the entire timeline and asking about that. And, you know, I think it's it's a di- you get a different kind of answer than just like, do you think this has gone well kind of question? And when you get, an, you know, a little bit more of a partisan divide on that question. Another piece of the puzzle is the sticky pickle that the question of intelligence sort of falls into. And how much can you trust the administration or the in- administration's characterization of intelligence reports and things like that? Um, Pew asked people, uh, how much do you trust what the Trump administration says about the situation with Iran? Predictably, like no Democrats trust anything the administration says. But overall, among Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, less than half say that they trust the Trump administration a great deal. Now, whether that is because specifically Republicans have trust issues with Trump, which I'm skeptical of, um, if it's that Republicans still have the memory of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and trusting, you know, the Bush administration implicitly because, hey, this is our guy and this is our party and feeling, you know, hangover from that a decade and a half later. Is it because throughout all of this discussion about the Mueller report, you've now got this non-insignificant piece of the party that thinks, oh, the intelligence community, they're the deep state. They leak things against the president. They're out to get him. 
if that if that's who's driving this, who knows? And you already saw that debate unfold a little bit. I mean, I think this was part of the Tucker Carlson argument for why Trump's actions on Iran were initially, he said, the wrong call. Because, hey, how can you trust these intelligence folks? They're trying to do you wrong. You know, that. so it's it's a really, I love these questions that are where you have these complicated cross pressures at play. I mean, Democrats are not cross pressured. They right. are like, I don't trust Trump. Yep. <laughs> we are united. Yeah. Of, there's a lot of different ingredients in this soup. And so you wind up with only 49% of Republicans and Republican leaning independents saying they trust the administration on Iran. Fascinating. Yep. Yep. Obviously, with all these questions, they're, they obviously constantly reflect partisanship. And so when you see a question that shows any kind of nuance or variation or, you know, something where you, it shows an op, it shows an opening. And also, you know, it's good to see when and where neither Democrats or Republicans are monolithic, right? I think that's, you know, important piece of studying public opinion and, and, you know, places where it shows that, you know, these convers, whatever conversation we're having about public opinion is really important. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, public opinion around the Oscars. It's not real public opinion. It's just like, well, it, it, you know, it's <laughs> like the credit donkey of It's Oscar the end polls. of our show. Listeners, <laughs> you know what that means. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, we are back with a poll that looks like it, well, the link says Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, that's what it's Is it a from. Hollywood Reporter poll or are they just reporting on it? It's like an online poll at the Hollywood Reporter, which is like a, you know, a real outlet. But we don't have a lot of, there's not a whole lot of votes here. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at it right now. I could vote. I haven't seen any of these movies. so Not one. I saw, well, I voted for Little Women, as you can see in the script, even though I have not seen it. But I just decided, (laughs) (laughs) I decided, why not? And I did see The Irishman and I did see The Joker. That's it. And, uh. I would like to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I would like to see Ford versus Ferrari. So there are two films that I did not see that are on my list that I will try to get to before the Oscar. So I at least have some emotional stake in this. My husband saw Ford versus Ferrari and enjoyed it. I'd like to, see, and he also saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would like to see Little Women. Marriage Story seems like it'd be kind of depressing. I don't. Do I have to see that? I feel like. Yeah, I love Adam Driver, and I like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I know she's. She's controversial these days, but I like I like everything that I've ever seen her in for the most part. So but I, I'm like, man, do I need a da- isn't it? A, this seems like a downer. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like a downer. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, I'm just trying to I want to rather watch Crazy Rich Asians for the 7000th time. Oh, God. Such a good rewatchable. Yeah, film. I just want again. Oh, I just okay. want like to go back to what I've said in previous shows. I just I like basically want to watch like drunk millennials partying hot english people nothing too serious no politics that's kind of what i want i don't i don't know i guess little women doesn't really fall in that category <laughs> but <laughs> i don't know anything i don't know if the other things parasite i guess people like that's fine i can do that but anyway according to this the winner is 1917 by kind of like a third pick 1917 yeah I think it got a lot of momentum coming out of the uh, the Golden Globes. Which the Golden Globes are always weird. Instead of the whole Academy voting, it's like the ninety people in the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and so the Golden Globes are always a little squirrely. But it certainly gives you a boost. So is it Oscars. so is it like the Iowa to the Oscars, New Hampshire? Is that what this is like, or not really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that yes, the, the New Hampshire goes. That's so cute that you just pick these people. Now we're going to pick someone completely <laughs> different. Which I was, I actually, I asked Ed Rollins this in the green room today over at Fox. Like, when was the last time someone who is not an incumbent president won both Iowa and New Hampshire? And I don't think he gave. I mean, he didn't give me an answer. Like there was. I don't think there is a good answer because I also think you have some of these like squirrely like that year that Santorum and Romney basically taught. I mean, you've had some weird, some weird stuff, but basically these two states, like the results do not correlate with one another at all. So yeah, maybe you're right. No relationship. Hmm. So by the way, uh, 1917 has a brief cameo from hot priest. Really? Yes. I read about this today. There's a whole article Hmm. about that actor, Andrew Scott at the ringer.com. Great website. Uh, they they wrote about how he was in Sherlock, how he was in Fleabag, and then he plays this role that's very small, but apparently he's very good in it in 1917. So, all right, well, now your interests. Now I'm interested. Now I'm vaguely <laughs> okay. Maybe I'm down for it because the Irishman it was fine. I would not vote for it, and the Joker was, you know, interesting. I guess, but not. I don't know. It just should not win all. It shouldn't get all the nominations. That seems a bit ridiculous to me. Um, and then I guess I shouldn't have an opinion on a, a bunch of movies I haven't seen. So maybe we'll have to check back in because they did polls for all the other categories. So if we run out of other garbage polls for the end of the show, we could just do this <laughs> every week until Oscars, whenever the Oscars Fantastic. are. <laughs> So key findings. So stuff is happening, folks, but it doesn't mean that there is a clear Democratic frontrunner. Meanwhile, while stuff is definitely happening in D.C., Trump's numbers on impeachment have barely moved. Um, When it comes to Iran, make sure you are looking at question wording. It is incredibly important and no joke. The Oscars are taking a hit this year. Lots of folks on the left had major beef with the Oscars. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters individually at, at Margie Omero and at K Soltis Anderson on Facebook or at www.pollsters.com. Thanks. Bye.